Hey there, thanks for visiting the podcast of the Guelph Vineyard Church. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast using whatever platform you listen on, or visit our website at guelphvineyard.com. Here's this week's message brought to you by our pastor, Chris McQueen. So we, uh, we've sort of been in this holding pattern for a little while with regards to, um, not a holding pattern, but we had a teaching series that was kind of really extended, exploring the language of prayer and the purpose of prayer and the work of prayer. And, uh, and, and we sort of spent a good number of weeks digging into that. And um, I've been really trying to um, get a sense of clarity in terms of what we can focus on in, uh, in, our, in our reflection time, in our teaching series. And uh, um, was really wrestling with that actually through a good part, even of, of this week. It's... Um, uh, I'd, I'd like to present that I have a six-month plan, but um, as as with many things, there's a responsiveness to the times that we're in, and um, I've just I haven't quite had clarity. But I I did get it this week, um, and so I'm grateful for that. So this morning, I just want to open up uh, into a theme that we're going to unpack for a little while, um, and it is very much in keeping with um, some of the things that we started to talk about. Um, you know, even even last week, with just trying to find this posture of what what is the purpose and role of of what does it what does it mean to be the church right now? What is it what does it mean to be in this time and to be you know flourishing right? Because we talk about this idea that God's purposes uh, in in space and time are not are not thwarted in the midst of of this. You know, we don't believe for a second. Um, I don't believe for a second that that COVID is something that God did to, did to the world. Um, but I also know that um, uh, that there's no element of shock for Him in the midst of this. And uh, and so we have these things that we wrestle with: reality and 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 kind of what we prefer life to look like, and what God's doing, and what's happening in our in in sort of the observable the observable world, and trying to mash these things together. And so I've just as I talked about and rambled last week for a while, <laughs> um, uh, just kind of in a quandary, trying to trying to discern what what it is, what it is in this season for us, and um, and so I had uh, as I've been doing some reading, I'm gonna um, I'm actually gonna quote a little bit from a book that I'm reading right now called The Prophetic Imagination uh, by a guy named Walter Brueggemann, who. Uh, just has been. Um, uh, we're gonna we're gonna touch on on some of his work a little bit. I think over the next number of of weeks, um, he's just bringing some really helpful perspective to me. But one of the things that he was talking about, he he was talking about some of the role of the prophets in the scriptures, right? So Isaiah and Jeremiah and and uh, and these sorts of, of figures, and even even Moses in in relation to. Um, to the experience of the Israelites in Egypt, and 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 he's been talking a lot about um, sort of this idea of of kingship or royalty or um, ruler, and and this um, trajectory or pattern that seems to happen in the scriptures, where the people of <laughs> the people of God kind of um, you know uh, cry out for uh, deliverance. They, they you know they get deliverance, then they then they need a king. They want a ruler, and so they instigate a king, and then the king kind of brings back a certain level of like you know um, 
uh, sort of domineering and, and, and kind of control. And then, you know, and there's this sort of cycle where it's just a comp- the people of God, particularly the Israelite story, they have this complicated relationship with, uh, with power and, um, and, and with rulership. And, uh, and so do we. Do you guys know that? Do you know that we have a complicated relationship um, with, with rulers? Um, you know, our political landscape right now is, it, I mean, it's certainly not as complicated as the one in the U.S., but it's complicated nonetheless. And, um, and so we, um, we have certain uh, uh, um, paradigms about, about this kind of thing, about leaders, about you know, um, even, you know, we don't use words like king or lord. We don't, this is not part of our, our cultural understanding anymore. We think more in terms of things like CEOs or, or prime ministers as, as leaders, of, of leaders of people. And so um, one of the things that has really drifted to the top or risen to the top in the, as I've been asking some of these questions has been this really familiar phrase and we sang it over and over this morning um we we often sing it in relationship to, with jesus we actually often marry often marry this word with jesus um without even thinking about it it's a word that we say almost every time or very often when we talk about jesus does anyone know what that word is any guesses I'll be brave, Lord. You got it. You got it. I mean, I did. I did sort of pepper and season season the question, right? Lord, this is something that we that we talk about. We sing about Jesus is Lord. We refer to him as the Lord. Um, if somebody is talking about their relationship with Jesus, they may, particularly if they come out of a, a certain church background, they might talk about their relationship with the Lord. And we all know who they're talking about. If they talk about, you know, the Lord, I felt like the Lord said this to me the other day. You know, I think most of most of us, um, uh, perhaps all, would, would understand or interpret that as being Jesus, or at least being God, right? And uh, um, so I've been thinking about this, this Jesus is Lord, uh, declaration or statement and I, I actually think that um, it's important I, I actually think that it's a it's a very significant part of what it means to to follow Jesus to be part of this thing is to understand what it is that we're talking about um, I'm just gonna pull up I hope my hope my technology works for me here today I'm gonna call up this and so this is from Romans Romans uh, 10 Chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. It's actually the second half of, of chapter 8. I'm cherry-picking this a little bit, but I don't think I'm doing damage to the context. Um, and so uh, Paul is saying, the, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Um, and so here in this passage, it's interesting, like, I think a lot of the ways that, that I have often, um, without thinking about it, uh, reflected on, on Jesus or faith in Jesus is like, 
this idea that that Jesus is is the is the way um, to to connect with with God with the Father. It's this idea that Jesus has has um, perf- has done something on the cross that that kind of um, makes me. Um, be able to be forgiven for my for my sins for the ways that I um, don't measure up. Um, there's this connection with Jesus in terms of salvation, getting to heaven or whatever. Um, and you know, but the interesting thing is that is that here faith in Christ is actually <laughs> it's actually connected to this Jesus is Lord declaration. Right. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And um, and so, this is something that I think it it's important for us to think about. Um, you know, when I when I think about the word Lord um, outside of the church context, when I think about it in in the um, just the way that I would encounter it today, um, you know, there are, there are two figures that come to my mind, and part of it's because of the kind of fiction that I enjoy. Um, but if I, you know, like Maya, when I say, th- tell me about a Lord that you're familiar with, um, who, who comes to mind when I, you know, does anyone come to mind for you? Lord Voldemort. <laughs> Lord Voldemort. There, you know, this is this was one of the first names that came to me as I started to try to ponder what this what this word, how we use this word, right? Lord Voldemort, and Lord Voldemort is uh, is a particularly heinous dude in fiction. Um, he is kind of an arc villain type of 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 person, um, you know. And so then I kept on with the, pondering the theme and. And another Lord came to mind for me, um, and this would have to do a little bit more with my my age bracket. Um, but um, you know, the other Lord that comes to my mind is is, uh, is Lord Vader, <laughs> right? You know, Sauron. Or, or, Sauron. Sauron. Yeah, the, the Dark Lord. That's another. There you go. There's there's another one. Lord. What else? If there are more, come on, bring them on. Let's hear it. Any any good lords that come to mind? Any light lords that come to mind? <laughs> Doctor Who. Doc Time Lord. There you go. Doctor. Do, there and you. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, but the Lord of the Rings is is Sauron. So the Lord of the Rings is a pretty wicked dude. I thought it was the Hobbit. No, no, Sorry. the Lord of the Rings is the dark. Is yeah, but. It was a long book. I got lost. <laughs> it's fair enough. You're not the only one. Um, one Lord to rule them all and in the darkness find them. Yep. So we tend to have this relationship in our understanding with the idea of Lord. We connect this in our uh, understanding with dark things. This is a reality. And do you know why that is? It's because our understand, in my opinion, I'm just going to answer the question. That we, um, in my opinion, um, when we think of lords, we think of people who are wielding power, wielding significant power, 
And we don't trust people who wield significant power because we have a long history of what that looks like, what power in the hands of individuals look like. And anyone who has the audacity to call themselves Lord um, is, is, is someone who we probably typically want to step back from a little bit. Um, and, uh, and so I just think it's, it's worth us um, exploring uh, this because obviously, like, you know, spoiler alert, this is not the way that we understand Jesus as Lord, right? Like these are not figures that we would, that we would kind of hold up and say, well, yeah, Lord Sauron and, and, and Lord Jesus. Yeah, no, this is, these are, these are very different. These are very different understandings of, of what it means to, to utilize um, power. Um, and so uh, I just, you know, when we ask that question, um, so we say Lord Jesus. Now, how many of you saying, we saying Lord Jesus or Lord probably about, I don't know, 15 or 20 times. I didn't actually count it this morning. How many of you um, cognitively saying it, like knew that you were singing it once this morning? How many of you thought about it? This is not a shame thing. It's just a question thing. I, I only saw because I knew I was preaching on this. Did anyone realize that you said Lord this morning? As you were singing, Marianne's shaking her head. Yeah. Okay. So this is this is kind of part. You know, this is culture. This is this is when you know st- you talk about stuff becoming wallpapered. You know what that that expression? It's like you don't even see it anymore, right? Something's in the background. It's super familiar. It's super common, and you don't even see it anymore. And um, and there is actually a biblical precedent for this kind of thing, where Lord is almost like a name, like Lord Jesus doesn't necessarily refer to Jesus as being the Lord, but just as part of how we understand Jesus, the Lord Jesus, just a way of understanding his name. And in fact, what's interesting, when you read through the Old Testament, most of your Bibles, you'll see uh, um, that there are many, many instances, I think maybe even thousands of instances, certainly hundreds, where um, when referring to God, uh, they use the word Lord. It's, it's translated Lord, but it's all capitals. Have you ever have you ever noticed that? That in the Old Testament, there are moments where, it's, where it refers to God as Lord, and they're all capitals. Now, where that comes from, that means something very particular. That doesn't mean Lord in the sense that we're uh, talking about a, um, like a, a power, political power or something, a, a ruling power. What that actually was, um, was it, it kind of roots right back to uh, Moses encountering um, a, a God in the burning bush, right? And, and, he's, and God gives him this, you know, go and do this thing. You're going to go and you're going to confront Pharaoh, who was, by the way, the lord of, of the empire at the time, the most powerful ruler, um, at least in the, in the known world to the, to the writers of that, of that time. And, um, you know, but he's, you know, Moses says, who should I say sent me? Right, and and God responds with, you know, say that I am who I am, or or I, I am who will be. Right, this is this we understand. This is the name of God, and so and that is Yahweh, which is that the word. And so, um, what happens was that in in the um, uh, kind of the sensibilities of the Hebrew people, and as they as they develop their understanding and their history and their culture, there was a there was this uh, um, decision that was made. Um, that this was a name that was so holy it should not be spoken. This name should not be spoken, right? And so they pulled, um, 
like they actually pull the vowel sounds out of of the way it's written so it's this reminder that it's unspoken and so wherever it's Yahweh they actually put in there um, uh, Jehovah right and so um, which so the Lord so or I'm getting a few things mixed up in my head here because I didn't actually put them on my notes but but there is the, the this um, basically wherever it says Lord it's a stand-in so it's a way of saying the name of God without saying the name of God. It's a, it's a declaration that who God is is so holy we are not going to say his name. Now, this does not necessarily jive in with our understanding of Christ as incarnation and coming to us and being near us and surrounding us in the in the sort of level of intimacy that we can expect to have with the God and creator of the universe. And so we've sort of drifted back from that. And so I can say Yahweh and I don't fear getting struck by lightning or or any of these sorts of things, right? Um, but, you know, so again, in the relationship with this term of Lord as as uh, as a name, um, you know, this is also something that you know we we do, but not with the same weight, not with the same deep understanding that we're. This is something that we're we know we're dancing with the holy, and so we're going to we're going to pull back a little bit. We're going to use this other word. And so for for this morning, um, you know this. Um, this idea of of Lord that is used in the New Testament particularly is something that I am most interested in. Because Lord is used in the Old Testament and Lord as used in the New Testament. It's it's a different language, so it's a different word, but it also carries with it different connotations, different meanings, right? And so when we read in Romans, when we read this thing that you need to say, you need to declare and understand that Jesus is Lord, that meant something different. That was not necessarily Jesus is Yahweh, though we would understand, though we would understand that. It was a different declaration. It was a declaration actually, and this is maybe not news to all of us or maybe not news to any of us, but it was, it was a political declaration of allegiance. Because you know who else carried that title of Lord at the time of Jesus, right? This was Caesar, the ruler of of the empire, the ruler, I mean, you know, uh, this was, he, he couldn't move stuff with his mind, he didn't have the force, but like, you know, Lord Vader, right? The kind of sitting on top of the empire. Well, um, Caesar was, what he, Caesar is Lord was a declaration that was a common one. By the way, so was Son of God. There are all these different names that Jesus takes on for himself that are actually descriptions that were that were demanded by Caesar of his of his of his subjects. So Jesus is sort of there's this there's this dynamic that's taking place. There's an actual a replacement of one Lord for another. And so when you have Old Testament or sorry New Testament references to Jesus as Lord. And particularly in kind of that order, those were not accidental words. In fact, in fact, those were words that in the early church times were actually the words that hung your life in balance on some level. 
when Christians were drug were 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 pulled into arenas and and you know their allegiances were questioned and we know of of this as being like the martyrdom right where people would give their give their lives because they because they were Christians, it wasn't simply that they were Christians, it's that they refused to say that Caesar was Lord because Jesus was Lord. And so it was a high and costly understanding that Jesus is Lord means something. And so there was no accidental Jesus is Lord. It was very, very um, significant. And then, um, because because there was, there was no space for this to correlate and to coexist at the same time, right? The nature of how of how things were built up around around the ruler of the day, the power monger, right? Um, and so, this idea of of looking at this declaration, Jesus is Lord. Paul goes so, so far as to say that our understanding of that um, has some under is connected in a direct way to what it is to be saved. He doesn't just simply say, believe that Jesus died for your sins so that you could uh, be, uh, you know, um, reconnected and reconciled with the Father. I mean, he does, that's part of it. But it's not just, it's not just that. It's not just internal. It's not just a spiritual condition, right? It's something that is far more, uh, immediate and, and profound. It's, it has influence. And so I want to take a little while, we're not going to do it all this morning, but I want to take a while and just kind of um, look at this from some different angles and ask some questions about what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord for us right now in a way that is actually consequential, that actually means something. And I don't necessarily mean it through the lens of of things like activism or or even necessarily the things of overt evangelism or I mean it can mean those things too. I'm not saying not those, but like asking the question, how is my life different because Jesus is Lord? And what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? And how does his lordship um work itself out in the way that I am and who I am and how I relate? in the decisions that I make, asking some of these questions. Um, because at the end of all of this, if we understand the scriptures um, at all, I mean, in my opinion, if we, if we understand the, the arc of the story, this whole thing ends with Jesus enthroned in heaven that is kind of in a new heavens and a new earth and all, I mean, like it's, we're talking revelation stuff. We're talking kind of beyond the ability to really know fully what this looks like, but Jesus ends up on the throne. There is a ruler, right? And, and this ruler is so powerful that he's able to banish things like, like fear and death and sorrow and pain. This is a significant thing. Um, when this when this finally sees its fulfillment and fruition it's 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 going to be very very meaningful so what does that mean for us now what does it mean that's some of the questions um i want to introduce an idea that we'll tease out a little bit over the coming weeks um and uh, oh before i get here
sorry, I'm having a, I'm having internal I'm having an internal dialogue with myself. As I said, I wrestled to get here this morning, so bear with me. I appreciate your grace a little bit as I um Yeah, just generally I think it's important to note that this lordship question is complicated for us. It's not it's not easy. There are areas in your life and mine where Jesus is Lord, where we can point and say, I made this decision. I would not have made this decision this way if Jesus was not in my life. We can, I'm, I'm sure of it if we dig deep enough. Even the most wretched of us would be able to find some, some expression where we've made a decision and we've navigated life in a way because Jesus is Lord. But even the most holy or righteous of us could also look at things and say, this area right here, this decision that I made is clearly not an extension of Jesus' lordship in my life. In fact, I would say that here, it looks like maybe I'm serving a different master. Maybe I'm trying a different end game, right? So it's complicated for us. And I want to just encourage you that if you look at chapter five, and we're not going to get into this, I'm not going to pull up the text or whatever, um, but um, it's worth reflecting on, and we probably will dig a little deeper at some point. But if you look at the book of Revelation, and you look at chapter five, there's this there's this scene um, where they're they're in the throne room of heaven, and there's a panic that's setting in because there are these scrolls that are gonna they're gonna forward the plot, right? They're gonna they're going to they're gonna begin to enact a certain uh, a certain phase, or um, God's going to do something in in the unfurling of these of these scrolls of these of these documents, right? And heaven is looking around, and and there's it's like who who's worthy? Who's worthy of this? And there's no one to be found in heaven. And they look on, you know, and there's no one to be found on earth. And then this strange thing that I don't understand at all. And there's no one to be found under the earth. They can't find it. It's like it's like that's a strange place to look for, you know, like kind of looking under the bed sort of thing for a ruler. But they can't. They can't find anyone who's worthy in heaven or on earth or under the earth. They're looking for a ruler. They're trying, obviously, different sorts on. It's like no one is worthy. No one is worthy. And then somebody says, hey, the Lion of Judah is there. The Lion of Judah is there, right? And John looks and we don't know if it's like a moment of confusion or if or exactly what this is but what John does not see a lion when he looks John sees a slain lamb in the middle of the throne and everyone erupts and it's like this is the one who is worthy right and so this idea of like the wrestle to find lordship, the wrestle to understand, even in heaven, there's a journey, there's a process. I don't quite, I don't want to uh, extrapolate too much from that and build a whole theology around it, but I think it's important to know that the process, there's a process that's there, right? And, um, and I think even in terms of how we understand Jesus, there's actually a transformation that takes place in the heart of the writer. He sees the lion, and the lion he's good with, because we know that lions are powerful, and lions can take care of business, and lions can take care of enemies. And then he looks again, and it's like, ah, oh, it's the slain lamb. And so even allowing Jesus to reveal himself as Lord in new and unique and probably disturbing and uncomfortable ways is part of this journey. So to me, that's a, that's a heartening, that's actually a heartening moment. Um, because that mirrors in my life what it looks like to try to understand and wrestle through what it means for Jesus to be Lord. Um, 
So back to some of this Brueggemann stuff that I opened with. Uh, whenever we think of lords, and we've already we've already touched on this a little bit, when we talk about things like Lord Voldemort on the one hand and Lord Jesus on the other one, um, is that we have part of the complicated relationship with this understanding of a ruler is that um, that basically always eventually that kind of rulership almost eventually turns into slavery. It turns into something that looks like authoritarianism. And so we are rightly suspect, rightly suspect of, of, of that. And, um, and so this idea of, of looking at, at our lives and our understanding of what it means for Jesus to be Lord is kind of to understand where freedom is at work in our lives and where slavery is at work in our lives. Um, and again, I, this is going to be spelled out further. This is just kind of broad stroke, some of the things that are in the background of why I think this is actually really important for us right now. Because there are areas in my life where I feel like I have freedom and there are areas in my life where I feel like there's a slavery dynamic that's going on. And I'm pretty sure that that is a leading question that helps to um, discern discern how lordship is at work in my life. Um I want to I want to pull up here in a moment a quote. Actually, yeah, I'm just going just going to pull this up now. So this is from this book that I'm reading right now. That's challenging, but I do recommend it. And he's refer he's referring here when he talks about the poet. Um, I've put in parentheses there the prophet, but he's talking about Isaiah. It's the business of the poet to drive the exiles to a decision about sovereignty because exiles do not want to choose. Depressed peoples do not want to act and despairing people think it does not matter. But the first step out of exile or despair is the clear embrace of a faithful sovereign and hence oppressed towards a decision. And here's what I want to say about that. Um, well, first of all, just to define a few things. So um, when it talks about, a first of all, driving exiles to a decision, remember that the people who are listening to this in the first place are people who are in exile. They are under rule, and they're actually people who are in, more or less enslaved, right? They've been, they've been ripped away from their home. Um, they do not have a king any longer, and they are waiting for God to deliver them. So they are they are without uh, without a ruler, and so this uh, this idea of a decision about sovereignty, a sovereign is a ruler, is a king, is a lord, as we understand it, is someone who is at the at, at the kind of um, at the pinnacle of of who they are as a people, right? And um, and one thing that's really important to understand about. Um, Anytime we talk about about this this sort of thing, is that lordship tends to show up in a couple of different ways. Um, one we're fairly familiar with in history, and that's where somebody grabs power and then they f enforce it on others. And so there is a lack of choice about who is lord in that place. They come and they take power. They come and they and they take agency from others, and they make them serve. Now we can look at it and say, well. You know, we're in North America, we have a different political system, we have a different system of leadership, um, and, and which is true, right? We, we, we don't 
have, um, you know, well, we don't have a tyrant at the moment um, in Canada, <laughs> uh, but um, we, you know, there. But at the same time, I actually think that when I look at things like my own, and again, I've talked about this, my own relationship with things like social media, um, with with things like there, there are different powers that do feel like they have a control over me, and I feel like something has been taken from me, and I didn't, even though I may have signed it, or you know, clicked a thing on terms and conditions. Um, I don't know that I elected to have some of these voices be so prominent in my thinking and in my head, right? And so before we kind of put that off to being like a political thing, I think that there are uh, forces and powers uh, that are at work in our lives that we did not choose, that have forcefully worked their way in and taken freedom from us, right? Um, and uh, you contrast that with Jesus. And one of the frustrating things about Jesus is that he is he is the ruler who is who has all of the kindness and the benevolence and the goodness but he never forces it on us he does not come and force himself he does not come and dominate he does not come and conquer us in this way this is not the way that jesus shows up or works there is a choice and there and and it's it's like and that's an interesting thing um a ruler who is fundamentally allows people the choice to be able to choose to be their their lord right even in our own and i'm not going to get political here at least not too political but even in our own de democratic system you know that there is all kinds of effort um whenever we, we may come into another election cycle soon depending on what happens in the next couple of weeks we may go back to the polls soon and you know what's going to happen at that point is there's going to be a campaign to try to convince us to try to you know this is the way it works from all from all sides right and i've often wondered about like uh whether an election campaign where people who wanted to be the rulers of the land simply said here's my platform and another said, here's my platform. And you looked at it and you decided which one you preferred and you voted in that direction. But that's not the way it works. There is a quest for allegiance that takes place, right? And, um, and so in, in Jesus, what we see is someone who's actually really light-handed. He is so light-handed, he even allows things like evil to take place for the sake of being allowing people choice. It's profoundly painful sometimes. But he is truly above... Um, needing to demand it and so um, with uh, with some of the things that um, that Brueggemann is talking about in that quote that I just brought up the choice right to choose to choose a ruler to choose a Lord is what the opportunity is to choose to make Jesus our Lord and I think it's just really telling and interesting I'll just pull it back here Exiles don't want to choose. Depressed people don't want to act. Despairing people don't think it matters. But the first step out of exile and despair is the clear embrace of a faithful sovereign and hence the press towards decision. And so what is it? So part of what we're going to ask is what does it look like? What does it look like? What does it mean to choose Jesus as Lord? And how does that bring freedom? I think it does particularly with some of the angst of today. Um, 
because many of the things that I personally find stability in um, are not, you know, they, they come and go, but there's something in Jesus that is, that is absolutely freeing. And I, I believe it and I want to I pursue that together. I'm going to close with a couple of passages from Isaiah. Again, just to, I guess one passage actually from Isaiah. And I want you to notice the contrast here. And this, this leads in the direction of the nature of how Jesus is Lord. So here where it talks about Bel and, and, and Nebo, I don't know if I'm saying those words right or not, but these are idols, okay? These are idols, these are false gods. And so Isaiah says, Baal bows down and Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden. They themselves go off into captivity. So this is the first half of this. There's this declaration about what lordship looks like when it's misplaced. All right. It's heavy, it's weighty, it is controlling, it is enslaving, in fact, I would go so far as to say. And then Isaiah continues, Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnants of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born. So already there is, already there is a different, instead of there being a weight coming down, an enslavement coming down, there is a freedom that is actually being lifted up. Just like the story of, of Israel and, um, and Egypt, right? There's freedom. There is, a, there is a lifting that is taking place. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you and I will sustain you and I will rescue you. And what's interesting is that, you know, the people who, who heard these words the first time, um, this did not immediately translate into a change of reality on the, on the present. They were the same people before and after hearing these words initially. I mean, there was, there was change that came. But I believe that in the declaration and the reminder of, of the freedom that comes with Christ as Lord, the lifting up rather than the oppression and the weight that comes down, um, that something does change. And um, one of the things that I'm really eager to explore together is this idea that who our Lord is actually is going to define our understanding of what, of what our life is, of what our reality is. Um, when I allow, you know, and I'm not a big Anyway, I'm not going to I'm not going to qualify. I'm just going to say when I allow media in general to shape my understanding of the world, my shoulders are 10,000 pounds heavy. Right? When I when I allow when I allow other forces, other influences to be the lord of my thinking and the lord of my and, and form the way I understand things, it becomes very bleak and I lose energy, I lose capacity and I lose vision. Right? 
When Jesus is Lord, it is different. The weight is lifted from us, and this is repeated over and over again. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, right? I'm going to lift my yoke. My yoke is not heavy, right? These are words that are actually the words of rulership, not just, re- we think of them as words of relief, but they're not just words of relief. They're rude words of leadership, of, of, of rulership, of lordship, because the Lord does still have a yoke. It's just not heavy, right? This, ref- this un- reflects on our understanding of this thing. Jesus as Lord always energizes. Idols as lords are always going to be slaveholders, right? And so we're just going to close with this thought for this morning's reflection, and then we'll put a big dot, 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 because I know we haven't really had a clear, concise point to this morning. It's just opening a conversation. This week, I would like to challenge you and me to pay attention, um, to ask where the fruit of lordship is. Now, what I mean by that is, we talked about it earlier, I have a theory My theory is this, if there are areas where you are enslaved, that reflects a Lord that is other than Jesus in that spot in your life. In an area where there is freedom and lightness, that reflects an area where Jesus is is seated on the throne of of that particular part of your life. And... And our desire is to have a life that is totally reflective of Jesus, the Lord, the Lord, right? The Lord Jesus. And so the the invitation this week is just to be aware of those things that feel like bondage, because those will become particular areas for you and for me and my own journey to navigate through what it looks like to put Jesus, to enthrone Jesus as Lord in these specific areas, because I don't want this to be general. I don't want this teaching series to be a theological exercise. I want this to be a chance where we, a process where we actually do the hard work of choosing to make Jesus Lord in specific and particular ways. Um, And I think actually we might find some of the things that we've been looking for with regards to the big questions that COVID has brought to us. What does it mean? How do we live in this time? How do we flourish? What does it mean to have the mission and purposes of the kingdom? I actually think it's tied really closely to these questions, not just in general, but specifically. Jesus, Lord of my life. Jesus, Lord of your life. So I just want to invite you to pay attention to that this week. Right? Where are you in bondage? And then maybe make a note of that or something. And we're going we're gonna to keep pulling on those things and invite the Holy Spirit to come and to bring a release, which is what it looks like when Jesus is Lord, is freedom, not bondage. All right? So I know I've wandered a little bit. Thank you for your patience and your grace this morning. Um, I'll just uh, pray a closing prayer, and then we will end our uh, live stream, and uh, we can do what we do afterwards here on Zoom. So, Lord, thank you um, that you are gracious to us. Lord, um, we know that you are jealous for us. We know that you are anything but actually open-handed, and you you are reaching for us, God. You 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 desire to rescue us. You desire to step in and to and to bring freedom and to confront our enemies. But Lord, you also do not demand from us. You do not force us into followership. 
you do not come in and conscript and and make us. There's no conscription into the kingdom. It's always invitation. And so, Lord, I pray that you would that you would allow us to hear your invitation this week. And Lord, where we have actually been conscripted into servitude to um, masters and to lords that that uh, um, that are um, keeping us in chains, um, God, we invite you to shine your light. Just like you brought Isaiah to speak to the people of Israel, Lord, we invite your spirit to come and to prophesy to our spirits and to prophesy and to call to speak to the powers that be, to speak truth to those powers, God, and that you would bring freedom. And that you would bring freedom through your rulership. We pray, God, that you would speak to us this week. In Jesus' name. Amen.